As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Alrighty, James, we have a lot to discuss as usual. Uh, how are you first off before we get into anything else? I'm good. You sound like you're a bit uh, a bit worn out. Are you having fun down there? I've had enough of Vegas, I think. I'm good. Have you been in the casino every night since you've been there? Yeah, exactly. Actually, <laughs> you got your pockets <laughs> turned out now and you... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's been interesting... Uh, Times obviously the interesting game in Vegas on Monday night, late Monday night your time. Um, so I think we 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 have a lot to discuss. Obviously from that game, from recent games, what's going on. We're going to talk about the offense. We'll talk about the defense. We'll talk about Jake Muzzin. I think we need to get a little bit deeper into that. Um, I think we should start. Actually, I'll let you decide. Where do you want to start? What's most interesting to you with what's going on right now? The Leafs are four and three. They're heading into a game in San Jose. Then they play back-to-back Anaheim and L.A. What's what's most interesting to you with what's going on? I think I would... You know what's most interesting to me? And maybe this is too broad of a topic. I just... I'm surprised how poorly they're playing. Yeah. Like I thought the Winnipeg game was pretty good. I think you could probably argue that that might be their best game of the year. Maybe. I don't know if you think that's... Well, let me look at the that games. One, that one or Washington. But, like, they haven't had very many games where it's like, yes, like, they look like when they were rolling last year, they look like that. They're controlling the game. But the Vegas game was, I to me, their worst game of the year. I mean, I, I guess if you take the opponent out of it, I mean, if you include the opponent, then obviously Arizona was the worst game. But Vegas was just all over them. Like, the, there was no question who the better team was in that game. Yes. And it was it was very clear right away. Like, the first 12 minutes of that game, they were... They didn't have anything. You know what I was thinking is that there's Bruce Cassidy behind the bench. You know, the Bruins always had the Leafs number and then there he is with the Golden Knights and, yeah, you know, they're in control of that game. You know, and so the so the the one thing is just how many poor, even against Dallas, like they, they ended up winning that game and I think it overshadowed how, how poor they were for long stretches. Um, the weird thing about the Dallas game was that 
there were so many so much special teams in that game, but at even strength, they were not very good. Well, so if we zoom out, James, as to why that might be, why they're not off to like the a great start, um, their top guys obviously haven't produced much relative to expectation. I think some of their new players are still figuring it out, still getting comfortable, and their defense is in like a weird place without Jake Muzzin, and even with Jake Muzzin, they they were and, still and, sorting and some without Lilgren too, right? Yeah, like, right. That's you know, so that's two of your top six not there. The other thing too. So when I look at the statistical profile of of where the Leafs are at after seven games, uh, expected goals they are rated right league average. They're at fifty mm-hmm. percent is where they're at. Well, which is- and and James, what was interesting to me about that uh, is if you kind of look into offensively, defensively, they are. I have it in my notebook here because I was going to write about it today. So last year they were tied. I think for they were tied for third in expected goals against. Uh, last year, like per 60. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So far this year, at least when I checked yesterday, 25th. Yeah. And that kind of matches the eye test. Like I, there's a lot of focus about Matthews not scoring and all these things. Like I think Matthews is going to be fine. I mean, I, I think he gets the benefit of the doubt. This happened to him last I would year. Say so, yeah. he, he got it going. He could easily, you look at his shooting percentage, like Matthews could easily have three or four goals right now and no one would be talking about this. So I don't think that that's the primary concern. And even against Vegas, the only line that to to my eye that had anything going was that line. Yes. Yes. The, the bigger concerns for me are the third and fourth lines have been Blah. pretty brutal. Pretty brutal overall. And all of the I was thinking about I, I was I was out last night and I, was, I went for a walk and I was just like and I was thinking about this. I was thinking um about some of the earlier shows we did, like remember in training camp, we we're like, "Oh, look at this lineup! Look at the third and fourth line. Mm-hmm. Feels like they're going to have like some real a lot of use that they can get out of. You know, they've got these really purpose built lines with with Camp with the checking guys and Kerfoot and a third line that can score. None of that has worked. Like it, it looked really good on paper, and I can see why the Leafs were excited about it. And we, I think we kind of talked that up a little bit. It hasn't worked. Like it, it really hasn't. Like it, there hasn't been very many games where those lines have gone on the ice and have been, what a great shift for, I mean, I, I honestly, I can't, I can't pinpoint very many times that that's happened this year. So I would say the third and fourth lines have not been good. And, and the, what you're talking about with the blue line, the blue line has been in, in real disarray. And against Vegas, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the, even the Riley Brody pairing was completely hemmed in. Well, he was at like he was at like five percent expected goals or something that I had had not seen for him. Well, they're having to take on harder matchups now that Muzzin is out and Muzzin Hall is not a thing, and Sandine and Hall have not been very effective together. But to go back to, I think we should talk about a little bit about um, the top line before we get to the bottom lines. Um, I don't think they started the season very well. They didn't look like they were in rhythm these last mm-hmm. couple games. I think they've been a lot better. Um, is there anything you've seen with Matthews or Marner or Bunting so far? Maybe Matthews in particular. Like he's just looked to me like a little bit off. Uh, like he's had some opportunities where he, like he's missed the net a lot. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. Like he misses the net a lot because he shoots a lot. Uh, but like some opportunities where it's like that is in the back of the net last year. It's it's going wide or it's being blocked or. It, it's just not fully come together yet for him. And and I think he kind of conceded this after the Vegas game. He's probably starting to press a little bit just because 
He has yeah. high expectations. He wants the team to win, everything like that. It reminds, remember when Phil Kessel used to go through the slumps and like he was on those teams with the Leafs where oh yeah if what, he didn't if he didn't score they would lose the games and you know he would just say you know like I'm not getting the bounces and like I'm getting chances and getting chances right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what he would exactly. say exactly the greatest like, there were like there were years of covering the team where you would have to put that quote in your story so yes. <laughs> um by the way congrats to Phil Kessel on becoming the NHL's Iron Man that's pretty that's yeah. a pretty cool story he's at 990 games he's going to be getting he's going to be at a thousand here soon and uh he's had he's had an incredible career and the funny thing is that Ironman streak started with his very first game as a Maple Leaf, which I remember very, very well. It was one of the first games. One of the first games I wrote a game story for the Globe and Mail, and I think they put it on the front of the sports section because it was like it was, and it was a that was a remember that being a moment right covering that game for me. Well, because thirteen he years, missed- thirteen years ago. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I remember. Like he had missed the start of the season because of shoulder surgery before they got him. Yes. And then you mentioned, I think, on Twitter. That Hedman hit was like, oh my god, oh no! You know what? It wasn't Hedman. I got, I was corrected. It was actually Matthias Oland. I remembered it oh. being Hedman, but it it was another big Swede. It was Matthias Oland who hit him. I remember that. Anyway, and just like crushed him. And someone asked me, was was Hedman even in the league then? And it's like, yeah, that was his very first year. That would have been like his ninth game in the NHL, Hed- yeah, right. uh, Victor Hedman. Yeah. That's, how, that's how long ago, that's how long it's been since Kessel missed a hockey game. But so to go back to Matthews, what, uh, your point, uh, you can continue. You I just, I, I, I know, I, I agree with you. Like, so the, the thing that Kessel had to guard against when he was in one of those slumps was like not second guessing himself and not changing his approach, yeah. which is human nature to want to do that when it's not working. Matthews, I think, you know, it's like the uh, the cliche in sports now, trust the process. And I think that that's what Matthews has to do. And to be honest with you, Marner, I'm a bit more concerned about Marner. It just feels like he's overhandling the puck a lot in the offensive zone, um, not making the easy play, trying to force things. The The line in general is spending a lot of time on the perimeter. Um, yeah, James. Other teams seem... Other teams seem to be like packing the house, like putting a lot of bodies down low and, and forcing the team, forcing that line to shoot from outside, which, and they're, instead of, instead of trying to get better looks or, or, or just like forcing the puck down low, they're, they're shooting from out high a little bit too often. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Marner because I think one of the things that stands out to me so far is during that second half run, he was just like first instinct shooting it. Like he wasn't thinking, mm-hmm. he wasn't trying to make an extra play. He was just putting it on net. And I think a lot of times early this year, he's either hesitated or he's passed well, up an opportunity. And I mentioned in my shots and shot attempts does he have? He like has, I'm sure it's down from last year. He has seven shots, five on five this year. Now he's had right. a lot of opportunities blocked. Um, like he has like 20 some odd attempts, but he's basically hit the net as many times as like yarn crock. So like, so he has one goal. So like, he's not, he's not been the threat that he was last year. Obviously, Matthew's not scored. He just, he just doesn't. And I don't, I think maybe it's, this isn't fair, but I think Bunting kind of is, if the two big guys aren't going, then Bunting's not going to be able to like pick up the slack, right? Like he's kind of like an accessory to how they're playing. So, you know, if if Matthew's is a bit snake bitten and, and Marner is, you know, not not playing as effortless effortlessly. Remember, Marner struggled in the first half of last year, he and did. then and then all of a sudden he was one of the best. 
I mean, there were times where he was the highest scoring player in the NHL for a long, you know, like the, there was like 30 game stretches in the second half where he was, you know, putting up more points than McDavid at times. It's, he was really, really good. And we just, we haven't really seen that Marner where he makes some kind of a dangle that opens up a space and then makes a play in the, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that that line was, I don't know if I want to say good enough, but I want to say they were okay enough that I would keep them together for now. But I think at some point, Keith's going to have to start thinking about mixing that line up a little bit if it's still not not working. Yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about that too. And I think you probably give it another game or two. And if it's still not, if, if it hasn't broken, I think maybe you just break them up just to kind of get a new look and feel. And then maybe you go back to it at some point. I mean, the other thing that that's, that's happened, James is like, they haven't gotten anything offensively really from the other line, the Tavares, Nylander, whoever line, uh, Tavares doesn't have a five on five goal. Nylander has one five on five goal. And if you look at some of the underlying numbers for their lines, they're not, they're not great. They're not super encouraging. Yeah, I I, didn't, I can't remember what I, I I think every line was underwater except the first line against Vegas is is my recollection. Yeah, so, so this is from Evolving Hockey. So Malgin Tavares Nealander fifty percent expected goals. Robertson Tavares Nealander forty two percent. And defensively, they're just getting like the numbers. Are, it's a small sample, obviously, but they're just right. getting kind of shelled. I mean, they did they got the one nice goal against Vegas, but yeah, it's. Um, and then if you're getting no- absolutely nothing from the third and the fourth line, like I can't even remember like good chances that like Yarncroc and Kerfoot have had. Well, so let's talk about those those lines, James, because I think what's so Sheldon Keefe was asked about the fourth line and kind of what he hopes the fourth line will be. And he basically said, like, you just want a line that's that's basically winning their shifts like they don't necessarily have to score, but you just want them kind of winning their shifts. Um, and I think what I look at the other line that Engvall, Kerfoot, Yarncroc combo it's like they're kind of similar in that they're not they kind of are just keeping it even like they're not they're not winning it to the point where they're generating offense it's just kind of like a an even kind of line and if you have two lines like that and the fourth line is not actually winning their shifts suddenly you you offensively you're kind of just very blah down there like you remember james like camp engval kasha mikhaev that was their third line and they would bury the hell out of it and they would still come out with scoring chances. Like they would take defensive zone draws yeah. and turn it into offense. There would be a, yeah, there would be cycles. There would be right? rush chances just because of the way that Engvall and McKay can skate. And, and, and they were, they were fun to watch that line. Like they, that's gone. So, so I wonder James, like something there. Yeah. So I wonder, I, I've been thinking about what they could do. I wonder if like you try to recreate that and maybe you put Engvall back with Camp because those guys were really good together last year. And maybe you try Yarncroc there on the right mm-hmm. side and just try to recreate that a little bit. And maybe your fourth line is like Kerfoot, Abe Kubel, and Aston Reese. The other thing I was wondering, James, uh, I'll probably write this um, today just as one of something that I'm thinking about. Like, I wonder if you try like Aston Reese with Tavares and Nealander just to give them someone who's really responsible defensively, someone who's a little heavier. Obviously, Robertson is the guy you would want offensively there. Well, I was thinking maybe trying Yarncroc up there. Yeah, that's another option too, for sure. But yeah, I don't I don't 
I don't hate the idea of shaking it up. It, it's interesting because like they do have more utility with some of those guys. Like I, I, I mean, we saw Clifford and Simmons played pretty well in, in Winnipeg, but you saw in the Vegas game, the limitations, like they were just, they couldn't give them really anything. I think those are guys that you play, I don't know, once in a while when you need a little bit more, I don't know, edge. Um, but well, I think against a team like Winnipeg, that's more like, yeah, Winnipeg's one of the biggest teams in the league and it's more kind of like a different style of a game. Maybe it makes more sense. Yeah. A little heavier. They did look good in that game. Like there were without a doubt, they played well. Yeah. And, and I should mention about Tavares, like he's off to a, a pretty good start. Like he's leading the team in scoring. Uh, I wrote a little bit about um, the speed work he did in the off season. I think Nealander's been okay as well. Um, but uh, five on five, like it's just not totally clicked for the Leafs as a team, which is um, surprising. Like offensively, they're not there. But like, what's interesting, James, is, like they have the worst five on five shooting percentage in the league. So uh, maybe that's the numbers all it I've is. got there. Colorado after last night is now worse. Than oh, that. are they? Well, and that's another yeah. team in the same department, right? So the Leafs five on five shooting percentage as of today is five point nine percent and Colorado's all the way down to four point nine percent. Oh wow. Yeah. So I mean there's there's certainly bad luck involved here. You yes. know, if the Leafs were shooting their customary, you know, nine plus percent, then they would have more five on five goals. And but it's it's some of the underlying like they're not controlling play. They just don't I don't know, they don't look they look kind of like they did to start last season, really. Yeah. Well, and, and if you're a, a fan, like obviously what happened last year is like they started like this and then they just ripped off like some crazy run. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's take a break and then let's get into the defense. Let's get into Jake Muzzin. And then we still have the pod bag uh, to get to a little bit later. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, James. Uh... I think we're going to start with with Jake Muzzin. Um, I kind of feel like because everything because of everything that was happening uh, with the comments that Sheldon Keith made after that Arizona game and the, all the elite players hullabaloo, yes, about that stuff, that it it kind of fell under the radar a little bit. Um, what Mitch Marner said about Jake Muzzin, which was basically like those two are very close, which was basically if he plays again this year. Which is basically him saying like Muzzin might not play again this year, and I don't know that that drew enough. Like I don't know, everything in Leafland is obviously covered pretty closely, but 
that's a massive story if he's not going to play again this year. And like it has implications for this season, their cap, their defense. It has implications for next year. What does it mean for Jake Muzzin's career? Um, what's your sense of where things are at and the importance of that story? Because like that's a big deal. I mean, no one's really has been saying very much, but the the last that I heard it was it was just unknown, you know. And, and Muzzin was placed on LTIR, uh, long term injured reserve, which means he's out a minimum of a month from when when he was hurt. Um, the situation's a bit confusing. It, it reminds me a little bit of what happened with Kasha last year, where the team saying, you know, it's not not a concussion, but then remember Kasha ended up missing a big long stretch at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um. So the team said that he wasn't wasn't diagnosed with a concussion, but it was it was clearly I think did they say neck originally when yes. he got, there's there's something physiologically wrong with that part of Muzzin's body, and it's not the first time, and it's not the first time in in recent history. So, and Muzzin's going to be 34 years old in February. He's got a lot of miles on his body. He's had a lot of injuries. We've talked many times on the show about. You know, he wears multiple knee braces. He's had major back surgery. If you go back in, into his career history, mm-hmm. he's uh, he's played through a lot of things. And then now you add this neck head situation. I, I think that, you know, the team and the player are going to be really, really cautious. So, but, you know, there's no, there's no like official update on, you know, Marner made that comment, but I don't think anyone knows that he's definitively out for the year. But obviously, it's something that's being contemplated, clearly. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, Marner is very close with, with Jake Muzzin. So, I mean, how could it not be something like he... I remember uh, after he came back from the second concussion last year, he was like very open about the fact that like... I think it freaked him out, like about like what his life could look like, the impact on this. Right. And he he right. said like he he started contemplating like what effect this could have on his life. He has kids, family, um, and then so this happens again, and it's like, or something similar happens again. It's like, well, geez, we've seen it in the NFL. I know I've read about some players who you know like they play one season or two seasons, and they decide you know what, like this isn't worth it. Well, there was like it's not quite the same thing, but Andrew Luck was like the bet one of the best quarterback prospects like in the last twenty years, and he played I think five or six years for the Colts, and then he just one day announced he was retiring, and basically the reasoning was like his he just his body couldn't take it anymore. He decided it wasn't he didn't want was it his, was it life. his head or was it? it uh, I think it was more like just the accumulative. Like he got sacked a lot. I don't think it was concussions per se, but like he's like a really sharp guy, and he basically decided like I don't want my life to like I want my I want to be able to be healthy after my career and have a life and like not be I don't know beaten down basically. So he retired, and he yeah. was he was I mean, not old. I think it's it's a real thing when you feel your body deteriorating. And the thing too that's different with some of the and and you know Muzzin's made a lot of money in his career too, but some sometimes some of the the NFL guys you can make you can make money that sets you up for life in a few years and I don't know I, I wonder like with the increased and I, back when I was at the newspaper I wrote about concussions all the time and talked to the experts and whatever and like I wonder if just 
the awareness and the understanding in the medical community and and different generation of players. I wonder if we'll see more frequently that that yeah. You know, obviously, Muzzin's not a young man, but I wonder if we'll see people step away. Uh, you know, and that was one of the big things with the Kasha story when I wrote about him last year was a lot of questions about whether he should just hang it up because of and he's got a concussion right now in, with with Carolina, like he's not he's not playing. So yeah, at some point you you do have to walk away just because you have to worry about the long term effects. Well, and the implications for the Leafs obviously are multiple. Um, but if you look at their defense without him, I don't like even with Lilligren Black. I don't think that that is going to be good enough. I I think they would have to make a move to get someone better to play in their top four. Um, obviously Muzzin going on LTI helps them somewhat. Um, but it kind of creates a an issue now. You have to kind of go out and find somebody else, right? The other thing too is that. With how poorly Justin Hall has yeah. played this year, like you've got a $2 million defenseman who you can't trust to play in your top four. Um, you know, the, I, I, and I, the thing I think we have to caution against too is that people look at the cap situation and say, well, if Muzzin's out for the rest of the year, they got $5.6 million. It's like, well, except they were over the cap, right? Like when Lil Green came back, they were going to be over the cap by yes. at least $1.4 million and more likely $2.1 because they need to they need to have an extra skater. <laughs> you know, they can't can't have 20 skaters all year. So some of that money, if Jake Muzzin does not come back, is going to have to go to, you know, just, just bringing Logan back on the roster. But, you know, like, guess what? I don't know if you might have it in front of you, but guess what Justin Hall's expected goals percentage is this year after seven games? Is it like 43 or something? Low 40s? 41.4, yeah. which is... Which is terrible, yeah. Which is really, really bad, and it's not even like they're starting him in the in the in the defensive zone. Well, that's you know, no, a that's lot and that's not true. They are, and like it's not. It's well, he's not. at fifty percent. He's 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 at at you know average basically. Well, so one of the things that that's been interesting, I, I was looking at the numbers yesterday. Um, they're not playing Giordano more in, in Muzzin's absence. He's basically playing the exact same five on five minutes as he did before. Uh, Sandine is playing more. Uh, Brody's playing a little bit more. Riley is actually playing, I think, a little bit less. Uh, I think they need to to change that around. I think they honestly might need to change the pairs. I don't think that this really works. Uh, I might. I, I kind of like the idea of maybe going Giordano Hall uh, and then Sandine Mete as like a lightly used sheltered third pair. Um, yeah. I, I think at this point with how Hall has played, I think he's your third pair. Or he's in but the but James, I mean, you don't have an option right now. Like who, who are you going to play? Who do you, who do you use? Like they don't have an I option. Guess you'd ha- I guess you'd have to put Sandine on the right side would be. Yeah. I mean, on the right, on the right side, you know, Hall can't get it done. I mean, it's it's pretty clear right now that he's what you got, though. Like the other option, like they could contemplate, is breaking up Riley and Brody, which is something that they had to do last year when Muzzin was out. It's just not there's not something super clean with that. Like who plays with Riley in that situation until Lilligren gets back? Um, their defense is not in a great place. Like that they, it's just not right now. So just to update for people, if they didn't see it, Lilgren and Jordy Ben were both assigned on conditioning stints to the Marlies. So they're going to play a little bit down there and they should join the Leafs relatively soon. Which would help. But but like obviously Lilgren's 
going to be rusty. Like you can't, you probably can't throw him into like the top four right away. Um, but I, I would play Giordano more than they have is one potential solution. Like if you, you make at, a good point though, that Giordano's on the left side, right? So like, yeah. And so Sandine, right? So like all the guys you want to play more other than Brody are on the left side. Yeah. And, you know, I think Mente's been fine, but I think he, you don't, I, I think he's been fine as like a third pair guy. Yeah. And then that's, that's fine. But like, you don't want him taking on no. tough matchups necessarily. And like I mentioned before, like part of not having Muzzin is now suddenly Riley and Brody are having to play more uh, against tougher lines. They're having to start more in the defensive zone, which means offensively Riley is obviously not getting as many opportunities. Right. Well, th- so this is what I was going to say, Jonas is I think part of the team's issue offensively is what's happening in their zone with the, with yeah. the blue line, right? Like they're, they're not able to, to get clean exits and, and get ru- chances on the rush. And like, they're just, nope. it, it's starting from the back end. Yeah. And, and, and obviously um, when Lilligren comes back and he gets rolling, that, that will make a big difference. That, that'll give them more flexibility in terms of what they can do. But like, this was something we talked about before the season. One of the risks with the group that they had put together is like, it's an older group for the most part, uh, with the exception of like Sandy and Lilligren. And you risk some like injury and decline and, Hall's obviously well, yeah. slower group too, right? Like we talked about yeah, like their, right. their back end's not like a great skating defense in a league where in in some cases there's there's some teams that are are or they they at least have like a, several of their blue liners or one guy on each pair that can really skate and move the puck with his feet. Yeah. Um before we get to the pod bag, uh I did want to mention I think we should talk for like two minutes. The guy who's probably off to the best start on the team, Samsonov. Like, yeah, I would, I would say yes, yeah. Um, I think we do have to caution the fact that it's been only a handful of games. He tends to get off to very, very good starts. Um, weren't they? I think they were calling him Mister October on the broadcast the other day. Yeah, well, like last year he started like nine zero and one. The year before that he was hot every year. Basically, he starts out really hot. It's the question of whether he's he can at, sustain uh, it. Nine thirty-two save percentage, and and like to the eye test, he's been he's been pretty solid. Like it, you know, it's not like he's been just getting lucky and flopping around in the crease or something like that. Well, and he was excellent in that Vegas game. Like it, that game could have been like six-one if it wasn't for Samson. With some of the chances that they were giving up, the rush chances, um, he was superb. And like that's a really big deal. Like they don't have. Matt Murray for TBD, who knows how long he'll be out. If he can, like, I don't expect this to continue to this level. He's not going to win every start. Obviously, he didn't win that last start. Um, his numbers are, I don't know, what is the save percentage right now? It's got to be like close I just to said 932. Okay. Sorry. I was looking at a number. That's okay. You got you got foggy Vegas brain. I get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's not going to continue, obviously. But if he can just be like solid 915-ish, that, that would be helpful for the Leafs. Um, and who knows? Who knows? Right? Who like, knows? I know. I know. I've heard from people in Washington. They're like, "Oh, just wait." <laughs> yes. Well, you know what's interesting, James? Like, in looking at some of those starts and some of those finishes, it looks like even in those starts, he's he's winning a lot, but like the numbers aren't like unbelievable. Like they're they're like they're fine. 
he just went he just happens to happen to win a lot i don't know if that makes sense like it's almost like what do you mean in washington yeah like you look at cl- a little closer at some of those starts and it's like wow he's eight, 13 2 and 2 but he has a 909 save percentage you know what i mean mm-hmm. like, right huh, okay anyway all right let's take a break and let's get to the pod bag I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, James, I have no local recom- restaurant recommendations because I've been in Vegas and there's no everything, everything <laughs> well, here give, is give chaos. us a Vegas give us a Vegas restaurant recommendation. Uh well, Sean McKenzie hey. had us go to a place I think you went to last time you were here. I think it's called Beauty in Essex in the oh, yeah. Cosmopolitan in the Cosmo. Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. It's very dark in there. Yes, it's very dark and like you you go in and it's like a storefront in the front and then you like go through a side door and then you're in this dark fancy restaurant. Yeah, I did I before the pandemic we were there. Yeah. It's uh you know one thing I've noticed here James, I don't spend a lot of time in Vegas. It's everything is like very expensive. Like you can't get anything for like <laughs> even just a basic coffee is like $5. Anyway. Yeah. All good. The, the other thing I I, I like Vegas. I've enjoyed going there since they've gotten a team and I've had some some good trips there. I recommend that that fans it is expensive for sure. I recommend that fans do go because their game presentation is probably the best in the league. They get very good crowds. There's always lots of Leafs fans there and it should be it should be on people's bucket list, I think. Agreed. Cool spot for a game. Um okay. Liz asks does doesn't this team need a trade to get over the hump? They have the same issues and nothing has changed. Uh, playing down to the competition, inconsistency, they're not starting on time. Maybe the problem with this team is they're too comfortable. I don't think you want to lose a trade just to say you made a trade, but and also it's only seven games and people are tired of hearing this already, but last year they did turn it around. So, but I do think that if, you know, you get and I said this on the on last week's show, I think there's a lot of heat around Sheldon Keefe, but I think that the move I would make would be to 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 make a make a change. And I think the blue lines probably would be the biggest target would be to try and change the personnel there. I mean, try and find someone that can play in your top four potentially if they continue to struggle for another 
let's say eight to ten games. A hundred percent. Like they're gonna have to they're gonna have to make a move there unless like I mean, even if Muzzin were to come back, like you, you you're still a little bit uncertain with him, like what you're gonna be able to get, whether he can stay healthy. Um and the other thing is like it, it the question's not wrong. Like the issues are kind of the same as they were last year. Like they they do feel like they're they might be like a, a winger short or a or even just a, a forward short in the top nine, like they could use. Yeah, but I don't know if they're going to have the luxury of like you, they're not going to be able to fill every hole, right? You're going to have to have to pick what you're going to be able to. Well, let me ask you, James. Like, do you think would you stick with Alex Kerfoot as your third center? And if not, what do you what would you do? I don't. I guess you could try Yarncroft at center. I, it hasn't worked. It doesn't with seem Kerfoot like he likes to play sure. center, from my understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you could do is is what I mentioned before: is you could go back to playing Camp third line ish i mean those min- what's interesting is their minutes are basically the same i think camp yeah i don't think it matters if more. you i don't think it matters if you call them third and fourth line like the they're just two bottom six lines basically is what they've got yeah it's like third line a and third line b although on some nights it's fourth line a and fourth line b <laughs> yeah that's what they were hoping they would look like they had two third lines but it hasn't really manifested i i do think that they're gonna there's gonna be trades made at some point especially if they continue to struggle i mean it's for sure yeah and the only you look around the league at like the standings like what makes it easier to make trades everyone's really capped out this year so that's going to make it complicated but what can make it easier for there to be trades is if there are teams that are clearly out of it early and then they're like you know what our season's done we're we're gonna i guess you maybe you go to a team like Vancouver. I was going to say Vancouver, but they don't have a defenseman. Like, who are you going to get? You know, they they need defensemen. They don't need to trade a defenseman. San Jose, Anaheim, Arizona. Yeah, Anaheim's off to a really tough start, for sure. I guess there's some options there, maybe. I guess, I guess Anaheim's got Klingberg there on a one-year deal, right? Like, maybe that's a guy that they'll potentially auction off at some point. Yeah, that would help. At least he's a right, a right side, can move the puck. He's someone we talked about a lot last year, potentially, for the Leafs. They have Shattenkirk expiring, Kulikov expiring. Mm. Mm. They, uh, yeah. So, anyway. A little bit early for that, but uh, John wants to know, uh, the Leafs led the league last year in too many men penalties. They already have two in seven games this season. Any insight why this is a recurring issue for them? This is this has been a problem for the Leafs since the, like Babcock started coaching the team. Like, they've, they've been one... They've been a league leader in, I don't have the number in front of me, but they've been a league leader in too many men penalties for going back to like 2015, as far as I can recall. It actually annoys me a little bit that you that, that's not tracked. Like the NHL doesn't provide statistics, like even individual players, like I'm looking at some bunting stuff. Like I want to know how many of his penalties are slashing, how many of like, you know what I mean? I don't know why that's not tracked, but yeah, it's definitely been a problem. It's something it they practice in. tracked, but it, it's not available. Obviously, it's yeah. tracked somewhere. Like the teams would have all this stuff. Like I don't know why we don't have access to it. Because there is a way to to see that, but no, like there's no site that presents it. Basically, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I when Babcock was the coach, my theory was that they were getting a lot of too many men penalties because they were just being really aggressive with their line changes. Like they were just really trying to push how 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 um how quickly guys would jump out of the bench before other players had gotten in yeah and with how fast the nhl moves sometimes that can you can get burned on that and and i'm sure they're trying to push the envelope too that you know they want they want really short quick changes and that's part of what's why that that's happening again and again but certainly 
I can see why it would, it's frustrating because it feels like a gimme penalty to to take so many of those too many men penalties. Sure. Scott wants to know, has Keefe lost credibility? Uh, apologizing for the comments that were right on about star players is the end. <laughs> you can see Keefe has no cure for blue and white disease. So I, I, I know you said you didn't, you weren't crazy about talking about it, but I think we're going to have to talk about some of the, there was a lot of attention on Sheldon Keefe last week for the stuff about the elite players and, and everything that they're, you know, like I didn't have really have a problem with the comments that he made, but I think the thing you risk in Toronto is it gets blown up in the media and all it's, it leads sports center and it's on the front page of newspapers and it's, it's all over. And then the players hear about it and they're like, wait, what's going on? And you know, my understanding is some of the players were kind of confused why there was a controversy over over what happened. I mean, his comments after the Arizona game were, if you actually look at what Keefe said, it's a little, it's pretty innocuous. You know, we have elite players and they weren't elite tonight. I mean, like, is anyone going to dispute that? Like, they didn't have a good game. That's all he said. Yeah, it's just like after you had called out the team after the first game, like, you, you can't do that every game. Like, it's just going to lose its potency. I, I think you're on the one hand, so we can talk about it. It's fine. Uh, on the one hand, he's right. Like they didn't play well. They lost to a really bad team. That's that's not good. On the other hand, like sometimes as the, the coach of the Leafs, I think you need to extinguish things, not add fire to or add gas to them. So I think a lot of the time you kind of need to say nothing, honestly, just to kind of put the game to rest and not keep the fire going. And I think. I mean, you could see it kind of after the Vegas game. He was probably wanting to say more than he did, but he didn't really say a lot. He was clearly not happy, but he didn't say anything that was going to keep the fire going. And I think well, that's he, a really important thing to do as the coach of the Leafs because like, you just keep the story going and that's not going to help the you. The front office certainly has that perspective where the less they talk, the better. Like You don't hear from... Kyle Dubas is not like on the radio. He's he's, he's not, not Bill Guerin talking to Mike Russo every fourth day. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, don't you remember b- b- back when the Leafs had different other GMs? They would be out in the media all the time. They'd be doing TV interviews. They'd be doing radio interviews. They'd be like, they'd be the story. And this front office is not like that. Like they don't talk a lot to the media. And certainly on the record, they don't talk hardly ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, once you, you hear from Brendan Shanahan like once a year or something, right? Like it's. Yeah. At the end of the year. And and that's strategic on their part that they they want to they want to shut down the fires. But you know when you're the coach and you have to do an avail once every practice day and twice every game day, that's a lot of talking to the media. Well, and and James, and like it, after a game, you are so fired up still from the game. Like they they give them some time. Like that's that's part of the process. Like you try to give the, the coach some time to cool off. But like you're still hot. And if the team hasn't played well, it, it's it's I'm sure hard to keep that all in and sometimes it gets out um it's just like if you're a player and you're like really like after the fourth game like we're doing this again and like you can't keep doing that every three games it's just gonna it's gonna wear people out especially like your top players who were so most of most of the players didn't didn't care like here's the so to go back to scott's question he says has Keith lost credibility in the room no, like my understanding is that the players like Sheldon Keefe, you know, and that he's got a lot of bandwidth. He's got a lot of respect from that group. They like playing for him. This isn't a situation where, 
there's discontent or anything like that, and that there that's why that's why there should be a, a change. Let's be fair, James. Like one player was clearly not happy about it, and that was Mitch Marner, and that's fine. Like he has every right to not be. I w- I probably would feel the same way. I'd be like, what? Like I had a, I had what ninety seven points last year. Like in the fourth game, we don't play well, and now we're gonna now we're getting criticized. Like. I could understand that. I could also understand you saying they didn't play well. He said they didn't play well. What's the big deal? Like I can kind of see it from both sides um, is kind of how I think about it. So I think there were a lot of guys in the dressing room. They were like, whatever, like, you know, that's just, that's just Keith. Like Keith is like a very, you talk about being like hot after it. Like he's very, he can be very emotional, right? Like, and I think that that's part of himself that he tries to, to hold back sometimes like when you see him screaming on the bench and getting worked up like that's kind of his i think that's like more his natural state yeah um you just can't like you you kind of have to be mindful of well people are going to take your words and twist them and you know like so you could you, you i think you're right you that you got to be careful with what you say here for sure yeah boy the the, the questions uh, are um <laughs> the questions are spicy today. I would spicy J. Yeah, you love this. <laughs> I love when I use spicy in a story because I know you're going to be like this fucking guy again with spicy. I don't know. It's just, it's not an adjective I would use in a hockey story. Maybe I'm old. Yeah, Maybe I'm just yeah. too old. It's, I'm one of those old millennials or whatever you call it. Yeah. Time for um, fun, James. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, this person is named Belvedere. Belvedere says, is Kyle Dubas a bad GM? <laughs> That's his question. Uh, they're a good team, but other than John Tavares, he inherited the best players, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he says, I had really high hopes for him, but I can't see why he grades better than mediocre. Well, I mean, one of the reasons why he grades better than me- mediocre is the team has gotten better every year leading up to last year. Now, I, I, I totally understand that they haven't had playoff success, so you know, people aren't going to be that excited about regular season success, but you know, he's he's turned them from he cleaned up some of the crap that was in the way when he took over the job and added some really nice pieces that complement the core that they had. Mm-hmm. Now, if if the bets he made on on Yarncroc and Matt Murray and Samson, you, you know, come coming back with Justin Hall and 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 bringing back Muzzin and if if all of those bets that they made in the offseason blow up then I think people are well within their rights to criticize Kyle Dubas. I mean, that's that comes with the territory, right? Like if you um, – so he, he has made mistakes as a GM. Yeah, um, go around the think, league though, James. Like you could go through every single GM and there's stuff where you're like, oh my God, they did what? But this is a pivotal year for the team and we'll see if the changes that they made and the way that they used the caps, the limited cap space that they had, we'll see yeah. if they pay off or not. Cause if they don't pay off, then I think that, you know, there, there will be some criticism directed at the front office. I mean, everyone knows what's on, on the line here. Like Kyle Dubas doesn't have a contract beyond this season. Mm-hmm. If, if they really disappoint the way they have through the first seven games for the full season, then, you know, I think we can, <laughs> it doesn't take a genius to, to read, you know, what's potentially going to happen here. So. His biggest bet, James, is like you said, it was bringing back the core again and not making changes there. And then obviously the goaltending. Those are the two big bets. So it's funny, sometimes in the, the comment section, we get people that are like responding to these questions and statements. And, you know, we there's people responding and saying he's not, he's not a bad GM. And 
he's you not. know, he, he's he's not one of the worst GMs, and um, I, I think that this year is going to be a huge part of what is Kyle Dubas's legacy and what is his future with the organization for sure. And and those moves that I talked about are are going to going to help define that. So you wrote, I think you you wrote that right before the season started that he's made a bet on this core that and they have to step up otherwise he shouldn't have bet on this core. Yeah. All right. David wants to know how does your writing process work? Stories seem to appear in the morning. Do you stay up all night writing and editing? Who decides on the topics? Do you have meetings and decide who will cover what? That's a good you, question. Where do you want to Where do you want to start with that? Uh, lots of time. Yes, there are very late nights. Certainly, you know when you write after a game, you depending on what the piece is. Sometimes you can have something that you've been working on um, earlier in the day that makes sense to run after the game. But most of the time, you have to you have to watch the game. Then you talk to the players. Then you hear from the coach, and then you think about. You and I are always talking after the game. Like, what's the angle going to be? What What are you going to write? And you know what's what would the headline be on that story? And, you know, um, you wrote after the Vegas game and it was kind of like, you know, you ended up writing about the the five on five scoring issues and it was a relatively short story, but um, I saw you filed it. I think it was like 3.30 in the morning. But that's like 12.30. Eastern time. Yeah. yeah so 12.30. So the, the game started at what? Seven year time mm-hmm. in Vegas? Yeah. So then the game ends at like 9.45 and all the avails and everything end at 10.30. So you had the story done within like two hours after that. Yeah, we would prefer, like you and I have talked about this a lot, we would prefer not to always be writing after games because your your thoughts just aren't as, not coherent as it's the right r- word. It's you, really, yeah, it's really you, rushed. You just haven't had writing. a lot of time to think things through. Whereas if you've right. written something else that you've worked on for a few days and you can publish it after the, the day after a game, it's going to be better. So that's always our preference. But obviously stuff happens and you want to you want to cover yeah, it. Well, people want to read about the game or, you know, some analysis. And that's part of why we have on the, on the Leafs, we have those report cards because it's kind of like, here's something we get up really quickly after the game, a little bit of analysis about what happened. And the thing we talk about a lot is like, we want that to give, give you and Josh Cloak and whoever's writing about the Leafs, give them a little bit more time to work on some deeper analysis or, you know, it, it, a lot of the meat of what you do, I know, is that you spend a lot of time talking to players and, and getting to know them and, you know, like your story on John Tavares and his, his changing skating coaches and what he's working on and some of like, you know, that would have been like, how long was that conversation where you're talking to him? That that could have been like a 10 minute conversation and, and it shows up as, you know, the top of your story on Monday. Yeah. So, so that's a, a lot of, a lot of the job is just looking for things that other people aren't talking about and. And getting into them, and to answer David's question, yeah, we have a we have a meeting about leaf stories every two weeks. Uh, our next one is is tomorrow, I think, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. Uh, and it, our leafs editor Ian Denemy is uh, he handles a lot of uh, you know. There's a document that has all the different stories that we've got planned. We try to have at least one good story every day. Um. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the process. But certainly, there's like some organization and everything. And the other question he asked is, uh, who decides on on the topic? I mean, a lot of times it's the writer, the writer that generates that. But sometimes if we see something, we uh, the the editors will will point out something, and it'll go from there. Next question, James. 
Carrie says, once Lilgren returns from injury, is the Justin Hall narrative over? He seems like a nice guy. He does not look sharp with multiple turnovers per game. Uh, his uh, intuition offensively seems to be dumping the puck behind the net. I know he has value as he's big and a right-handed shot, but he's losing his $2 million cap hit more important to the Leafs. At age 30, he is what he is. The only thing I would say to that, James, is like he started very poorly last year and then really turned things around in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that well, was... the year before that, he had a good season, right? He like did, it's, yeah. So, Him and Jake Muzzin were very good together. Um, it's just when he's bad, he just is really bad. Like well, he really has trouble with the puck when he's not confident. You can see that. I wonder, James, like if, if one thing that they might have to consider is going back to like Brody Hall. Mm-hmm. It, it's just like then it's like, well, who plays with Riley? And like, what's your third pair? Well, and, and like, are you using Brody Hall against... Yeah. Like, I like Brody against other teams' top lines. So, well, so like, that would be... Your, right now, I wouldn't play Hall against a top line. But James, like, you just you don't have other options. Like, that's the thing. Like, I know you keep... You've mentioned, like, well, I wouldn't play Hall. Well, okay, well, who would you play? Like, they don't... They're missing that piece. They need him to be that guy. It's just like, you look last year, he played some of his best hockey when he was playing with Brody. Most guys seem to. So that's maybe something you contemplate just to, or you could, you could go Brody Giordano if you wanted. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, I would, uh, I would, yeah, again, it's like you said, like, who do you play with Riley? Like, I think well, maybe once you have Lilgren, you've got some more options. Yeah. Uh, Curtis wants to know, Jonas, uh, are you finding a way to reference Taylor Swift's new <laughs> album during the podcast? So you, at, have at, you been listening to Taylor Swift's new album or is this like, is this, I don't know what, I don't get this reference. Is this from something I don't understand? I'll be on it. Well, so Dom is a big Taylor Swift fan and he kind of got me into some Taylor Swift. Like I listened because of him and it's like, some of it's pretty good. I ha- I tried the new album for like 10 minutes and I was like, eh, it might not be for me, but that's, it's because of Dom. Dom like insists I listen to Taylor Swift. He loves Taylor Swift. What's the biggest Taylor Swift song? I, I know Shake It Off because they played it. They I'm played the wrong guy to ask, game. man. I, I, only, I only listened to the last album and I liked it, um, but I don't know enough to say. Well, there, I know there was, wasn't there like a song or an album about Jake Gyllenhaal? I know e- that. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm too old for Taylor Swift. Man. You should see my, just, my Apple Music, James. It's just like all over the place. Like I have everything and anything. Oh man, you should see what my kids are getting into my Spotify now and you should see this stuff. I wish I could play the song. They they like playing these complete nonsense song. There's this one song that they like. It's called I'm a Banana. And it's this guy just like shouting about how he's a banana. Mm. <laughs> Sounds great. That's, at the end of the year, I'm going to get my like, what do they call it? They call it like your unwrapped or whatever at the end of the year. And they tell you what your most listened to songs are. And mine's yeah. always just like this insane kids nonsense. So... My kids are always listening to like these banana songs or like songs that are just like a fart noise for <laughs> for three minutes. Or <laughs> anyway, um, let's see here. Pony Boy is back again. He says, considering so many of the same issues are plaguing the Leafs under Sheldon Keefe as they do as they were under Babcock. How much longer do we have to pretend the issue is the coach or the GM instead of pointing directly at the players? Is this just a core of players that for some reason can't muster the will to push through compared with champion teams? I mean, that's kind of what we were. I I think it's too early to draw that conclusion. Like I think that last year they did push through and look like a really, really good team for most of the last three quarters of the regular season. And and they did push 
really, really closely against Tampa. And that's why there was optimism coming into this year. Um, but yeah, certainly if you get to the 20, 30 game mark and you got a 50% expected goals and your record is, is not very good, then yeah, there's going to, something's going to have to give, but you know, the interesting thing, I think that the, the player that people would have talked about from the core trading, not, not, not on this show, but like, you know, outside in, you know, other media outlets or sometimes from the fans would be Newlander. I mean, you could argue he's been their best forward this year. Yeah. He's, he would be the wrong guy to trade. I would think. I've always well, I mean, thought, obviously. I don't, I can't see them trading anyone else from like the core four forwards. Like, it, they're not well, going to trade Riley. And so, as you say, like, James, I think, sorry, go ahead. If you're trading, it's not going to be those, those core pieces. So, you know, you, you've kind of, you've decided that you're going to ride or die with those guys this year. Yeah. Well, and as you said, like a lot of this is like cumulative over a number of years. But if you look more recently, like, I mean, they had 115 points last year and lost by a goal to to Tampa. Obviously, losing in the first round year after year after year is not good enough, but it's not like there wasn't something encouraging about last season for them. You, I don't know. You might be able to answer this, but if you can't, don't don't worry about it. Adam wants to know, I often hear about the Leafs medical staff being top-notch. Could you go into some detail what the off-ice benefits are to being a Leaf compared to other teams? Is it that much better? Are there teams with clear reputations, good or bad, around the league? I mean, all we ca- all I can say is they have a very extensive staff and like a lot of personnel. They have more yeah, so they have more people. They have a lot of technology. We've written about this, right? Didn't didn't Josh Cloak write about this at one point? Like the different, like just like all the technology at their disposal is is extensive. Like the Leafs spend so much money on all that stuff. Well, and they can travel more people. Like they they just right. yeah. Anybody they have who an comes, army of. Yeah. trainers and medical staff and yes like some players come from smaller market teams here and they're like whoa <laughs> that's why you hear about it because the players are the ones bringing it up and it's not like the media is just manufacturing this idea well and it's like you mentioned Tavares like they have like three skating coaches on staff like three mm-hmm. you know what I mean and like they have yeah. all the skill work they do they have all these development coaches so before a lot of practices Actually, before every practice, there's like skill work on multiple ice pads. Like they're the amount of work that they're doing that other teams wouldn't be doing just because they don't have all those coaches and all those pads and all this stuff is unique. It's it's what they should do. I mean, they have they have the resources to do it. Why not do it? It doesn't count against your cap. Are there and he says, are there other teams with clear, clear reputations? Not really. No, I I don't know. I, I don't really. Uh, it's it's hard to say because it's subjective, right? It's not like we're in there like assessing the medical staffs. So like it would just be taking the word of of various players. But some teams just don't have the same resources, right? Like it, which makes sense. I mean, the revenues for the Leafs are dramatically higher than some of the other teams that they're competing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chad wants. I mean, maybe I, I, we talked about this a little bit, but Chad wants to know: with all of the firepower, why can't the team score at five on five? Are they working too much on the perimeter of the ice? I know you wrote about the five on five scoring. Did you see anything with like where the shots are coming from that was concerning when well, you looked at that? I think one thing with Matthews is he hasn't been getting the same quality of looks around the net. And I thought Neilander made an interesting point where he basically said a lot of times we're just like trying to fire pucks at the net and they're getting blocked and then that's it and they're one and done. And he thinks that they should s- focus on spending, trying to sustain more pressure for a longer period of time, working to get a good shot. And maybe wearing the opposition down as opposed to just like firing quick just to get something on net. But clearly, like when you go through this kind of spell, you start to tighten up 
you start to force things. Um, and so as Matthew said, like once one goes in, I think for him especially, I think it'll break the dam open. Like I bet like so he is one goal through seven games. I bet if we look through ten or twelve, he'll have like eight or nine or ten or something stupid. Yeah. Uh, Patrick wants to know, is the organization doing anything this year to drive the core players to be more competitive or have a killer instinct? Uh, while not necessarily about killer instinct, Greg Harden, uh, who was the, the mental skills coach they had last year was an example of the organization trying to get the best out of the current group. Greg Harden is not with the team this year, correct? Like I, I put in a request to talk to him and I'd never heard back. Um, yeah, he's not listed on their management team anymore. Because we saw him around, you know, kind of like in the press box and things like that last year. And I haven't seen him this year. No. So you've been, you've been around more than I have. So I don't, I don't know the answer to that would be potentially a question we could ask Keith at some point is, you know, is Greg Harden's no longer with the team. Is there someone else that's, although that's not really his department, right? It'd be more like a Kyle Dubas question. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about that? No. I, I don't know how you manufacture killer instinct. I don't know. Like, I I'm hate not that sure. phrase so much. I cannot <laughs> tell you. Are you tired of hearing it? I hate it so much. I think it's so, yeah. Anyway, I understand why it's a question, but it, the, just the phrasing bothers me. Uh, Lockie wants to know, Jonas, what's your favorite type of sandwich? That's a good question. Not the kind of question <laughs> Is it? that I expected in the pod bag, but I don't know. What do you like? Turkey? Probably turkey. No, you know what? Well, turkey would be would be great. I'm I'm a big fan of for breakfast, like a like an egg sandwich, like I those. Uh, I mix one of those in pretty regularly. Bacon or sausage? Uh, usually bacon. If, or beyond if, if meat. On, if, if it's on <laughs> if it's on hand. No, I think just like, uh, you know, like some eggs and maybe some cheese and some bread. There you go. That's all you need. All right, James. You got one more. <laughs> Hopefully, it's not about lunch. <laughs> you didn't even answer. Turkey, I guess, was what you answered. I don't really have a favorite sandwich. I'm not a huge sandwich person. Uh, William wants to know, do you think uh, Samsonov could potentially be a longer-term solution in net? If the cap goes up, they could hang on to Murray as well for one more year or try to trade him. Hopefully, he can stay healthy and show that he's capable. Way, 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 way too early to say. It's hard to know. It's going to have to be the whole season. Yeah. Like, we'll need the whole season before we can make that judgment or analysis. Yeah. Like, we saw this last year with, with Jack Campbell, James. Like, he got off to an unbelievable start and then completely cratered and had an okay playoffs and then that was it they decided not to sign uh ron asks how do we send in our questions for the podcast (laughs) uh you just did ron you made you made it on the show so if you want i get asked this all the time actually we used to put it on twitter but i think i like you know the, the people who subscribe i think that should be the ones that uh we talk to so if you go in the app uh we put out the call usually 24 hours before we record the show and we just ask for questions and if you put them in the comments uh then we we try and answer as many of them as we can uh we received 65 for this show and obviously how many did we get to 12 or something like that we're not able to get to all of them but we really appreciate everyone sending in the questions um the earlier you get your questions in usually it's more likely that we will get to them so if you send something in an hour before we record sometimes we don't see it um but yeah that's you know thanks for all of the uh i wouldn't have ever expected we would get this much this many questions every week and like this the response has been fantastic the number of people listening keeps going up every year that we've been doing this and it's been a lot of fun so 
uh, we appreciate you and uh, yeah thanks for uh, thanks for listening and supporting us and helping grow the show and you know I know Jonas and I there have even been some debates over whether we should increase the frequency with how often we're recording and it's something we're thinking about perfect way to take us out James thank you uh, to everyone thank you to James thank you to producer Punch James I will talk to you on the pod next week I'll talk to you in real life in like 30 seconds probably <laughs> see ya <laughs>